and welcome to the Talking CX Podcast. Thank you for joining us again, and we are continuing this week on our series of what are the biggest CX challenges for 2021. And and based on that survey that customer results did with all of their CX partners. And this week, we are going to cover number two, the second highest ranking CX challenge for 2021, which is ensure deep enough customer understanding. And with me, I have Graham. Hi, Graham. Good to see you here. It's great to be here. The first thing that catches my attention about this is the title, which says, Ensure Deep Enough Customer Understanding. And the part that stands out to me is the phrase deep enough, because that could require a whole lot of explanation. So we'll get into that. But the first place I want to start is by asking your general high-level definition of what customer understanding is. So simplistically, um, st- starting from the principle that you you can't deliver a great experience to anybody who you don't know, um, customer understanding is two pieces. One is kind of understanding the customer themselves, you know, who they are, and behavioral attributes and cultural attributes. And then the second is understanding the experience that is going to most likely resonate with that customer related to what it is they're trying to do in the situation they're in. So essentially, understanding their, to use a CXE kind of term, their persona, and then understanding the journey they take to get the experience that they get. Yeah, yeah. persona as a word is closely aligned with personality, right? Which is a word that we all know and love. And also with another word that we know and love in today, and that's personalized. So uh, people want personalized experiences. And in order to provide a personalized experience, you have to know what their personality is. And in CX, we frame that in something which you quite rightly said is called a persona. Then the second half of that, tracing the um, actions and interactions that customers have as they interact with your company is referred to in CX terms as a journey map or experience map, usually. Why would you say that it's so important? So so starting maybe a little bit further with this idea of the persona and the personality, I mean, some of the some of the understanding of principles are you know pretty basic like what is the language they speak you can't deliver a great experience if you're talking to them in the wrong language um you know the second one might be what's what's their age right i mean what age group are they in their family situation potentially gender ethnicity you know those are usually referred to as demographics demographic attributes of the persona and then uh and then to make everybody's head hurt, we have psychographic and behavioral models. Yeah, I've, I've heard the term psychographic, and I know it doesn't actually mean this, but when I hear that term, I have a mental image in my head of a picture, right, a graphic, or, or, or just a, a drawing of something 
that is behaving in ways that are contrary to the rules of science. So, <laughs> so like, I don't think that's psycho. Well, you must you be know? thinking about me. I've been called psycho a lot, but I'm not quite sure that's what they mean when they call me a psycho. No, I wasn't thinking about you because I have never actually thought of you as a as a as a two dimensional drawing on a page. But <laughs> but hey, well, thank you. Maybe you could be. I don't know. Um, what what is a psychographic? Yeah, let me. I mean, let me. I'll give you maybe better to explain it in some maybe easier to understand example so i mean psychographic is kind of your deep um kind of personality model so so you know we all have well most of us have uh, people we know sometimes friends who have very different personalities um you know uh, the the language they use may be different um a great example is you know my, myself i mean i'm a i'm a kind of data dude as you know right and, and kind of a fact and get right to it, dude. Um, and so if somebody calls me up out of the blue and, you know, they, they want to talk to me, I want them to get to the point. Right. And I, I don't want them to ask me how my kids are and how's the dog and isn't the weather nice today. Um, I've never noticed that about you ever. You haven't. Right. On the other hand, if you were to call my wife, for example, and you hit her with the facts straight between the eyes, you're likely to get not very far in the conversation. So, you know, just two two very different personalities, very different ways of needing to be communicated to, and and they're innate. And there's been, you know, research going on for 50, 60, maybe years, maybe longer. I mean, if you're a Freud fan and all that stuff about, you know, what are these kind of deep motivations that people have? Um, and some of those are formed by upbringing and all kinds of other things. So, so kind of the psychographic and behavioral components are really around, you know, outside of language and age and family situation and ethnicity and some of those other things that, which may influence psychographics, by the way, they're kind of like, what are those, what are those other things um, that people need? And, and in the behavioral world, by the way, one that we're very conscious of, since I know you're trying to steer me back to this journey conversation um, is the idea of channel preference, right? So one of the things which is, which is true increasingly about people is they have different ways of preferring to interact. Some people want to talk on the phone. Some people want to use their app on their mobile phone. Some people want to chat on their mobile phone. Other people don't want to do anything like an interactive thing of any description. Some people want to send emails. Some people want to use social media. And so they're all, you know, increasingly complicated parts of a psychographic and behavioral model, which, you know, logically, if you get wrong, it can destroy the experience, right? So talking to the wrong person in the wrong way through the wrong channel can be almost a death knell for whatever experience you're trying to deliver. Well, and not to to beat it up too much, but you refer to psychographic models and behavioral models as something separate. And so what is the difference between the two? Well, I mean, strictly speaking, a psychographic model is kind of a, an innate description of you or some other person as a human, whereas a behavioral model is how do you behave in a particular context. But I would not, for the, for the average person, you know, it, it probably doesn't really matter that there's a difference, just recognizing there's demographic, psychographics, and behavioral elements to any um, 
persona or customer definition is probably good enough. And, and there's a horrible gray area as always in these things between the various ones where they all bump and overlap and people get, people get pretty heated about the differences and most of it doesn't have much value to anybody. So, um, you know, I would just stick with the idea. There are those three elements and recognize that the deeper an understanding you can get, the better the experience, but to your point, it's deep enough, right? You can spend forever profiling one human being, which won't get you very far, um, in terms of trying to run a business. So I actually am not super committed to, to knowing the difference between the two. I'm just trying to create a new image in my head. Oh, well, let, let me, let, let me know when you manage to get that three part image of demographic, psychographics and behavioral. And perhaps you can, uh, you can issue one of these non-fungible token things that seem so hot right now <laughs> and make, make your millions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there you go. I will. I will solve. I will solve single-handedly solve the argument, and that way, no one has to argue about it anymore. Good. So I'll get right on that, and, and post it here in the show notes if I get it done before we post it. It will be great. Don't forget to buy your um, non-fungible token before you post it, though. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. It'll probably have the same results as that poor guy in, was it California, who tried to sell a house that way. (laughs) (laughs) It did not go well. It did not work out. It did not go well. It sounded sounded like a great idea, though. It's probably somebody who did not deeply understand their buyer persona and the experience that they wish to uh, to have. Fungible tokens were probably not part of most buyers' vocabulary. Correct. Yeah. So we have these behavioral models. Mm -hmm. What is the best way to get started with that? You know, in reality, how do organizations start putting those into practice? What's their first, second, and third high-level step Mm. to do that? yeah, so it's a great, it's a great, it's a great point. Um, so, um, typically, a very, very similar way that that um, you know organizations might might create journey maps, right? So, I mean, the the first first one of those is most 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 companies, certainly most companies that we work with have um, you know been around a while, and so they have customer segment definitions, right? And so, I mean, a segment definition is to all intents and purposes the same as a as a persona, there are subtle differences, but um, you know, so they'll they'll use those segment definitions, and then and then the real point of the of the behavioral, you know, personality, demographic, psychographic differences, is to understand how those inform the different expectations of their journeys, and and their individual journeys and their journeys and relationship with you all up because. As I said, I mean, a simplistic example is, you know, speak to them in the wrong language. They can't understand you, um, you know, communicate with them through the wrong channel. They may never even, they may never even recognize you're talking to them um, and, and talk to them in a way that, that is non, not only potentially not helpful to them, but could actually be offensive to them again is a problem. So, you know, once it, it, starting with whatever information you have about who your customer is and thinking about the experience that you're focused on, you know, it's a question of just continuously asking the question of, you know, what are what are the attributes of the human being that that probably matter? Some some things may not, right? So, um, and then over time, 
just getting more and more information um, about those persona. There is, however, another way, right? Two other ways that organizations deal with this. Number one is that you can um, you can build uh, persona, deep persona models, and in fact journeys by looking at analytics data, right? So, um, you know, figuring out what your customers do, for example, in your in your digital platforms, figuring out how they respond to particular things in your digital platforms actually infers, you know, a fair amount of a fair amount about who they are and how they might want to be talked to and how they might evaluate experiences in the future. And then in addition to that, um, you know, without stepping across the creepy line, um, you can also buy uh, information about individual people's personas and you can even buy persona models, right? So if you're a, you know, an insurance company, you could buy predefined persona models for people who buy home insurance or um, business liability insurance or whatever to kind of get you started. And, and I'm assuming that you mean that when you say creepy line, you mean the line at which people feel creeped out because you know too much about them. For example, when they're just Googling things and then whatever it was that they Googled, magically shows up on their social media pages, something related to it. What, how do, how would an organization's customer even know that the organization has crossed what they would consider to be a creepy line because they know too much information? It's a great, it's a great question. But by the way, the creepy line has become kind of a term because of a, because of a documentary movie that was made that I'm sure you can get in other places, but I was associated with Netflix for those people who are Netflix customers and it's specifically around, um, you know, what organizations like Google and Facebook and other digital organizations have started to do. But the, the, so the creepy line is, 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 you know, has a level of complexity like anything else because the creepy line is in the eye of the beholder. And so, you know, you as a customer make a decision when you feel somebody's crossed the creepy line. I mean, think think about a, you know, a, gra- a great exa- a simplistic example. Um, you know, let's let's say you go on a website um, or a mobile app, but let's say a website, and you're you're looking at you know looking at something from one of your favorite. I don't know. Let's say it's a clothing store like Patagonia. I don't know. Um, and you're looking at you know outdoor jackets and. You know, Patagonia, who know you as a customer and know many other customers who are just like you because they grouped you up into similar personality models, they recognize that when you're looking at a particular jacket, you know, you you may want a, you know, pair of ski gloves or something that go with that jacket, um, even though they're not, you know, directly on the same page. And it may ping you a little message saying, hey, Robin, by the way, we noticed you were you put the jacket in your shopping cart, would you like to add this pair of gloves? And you may turn around and say, well, that's really great. I almost forgot. And you think that's fantastic. That's not the creepy line because you liked what they did. However, if they came back to you and repeated you, repeatedly offered you things that you didn't feel were appropriate, they might think they're appropriate, but you don't. Suddenly you start to get very skeptical about that provider and you start to get close to the creepy line. So what's happened, by the way, with Facebook and 
you know, Google and others is there's been so much media attention to, you know, what those companies are doing behind the scenes. I mean, you think about Cambridge Analytica in the last election, right? I mean, it's, you know, so what's happening is people get getting more and more, um, I'll say cynical, nervous about what's being done with that data. But when it goes really well, you think it's the best thing that's ever happened to you. And when it doesn't go really well in your mind, you think they've crossed the creepy line. So um, it's a really, really, you know, difficult thing. And especially in today's world where anything other than personalized experiences could be considered unsatisfactory by vast numbers of people, you have this constant dance, dance going on. And so in our world, it's about understanding, um, you know, what, what, what customers, personas want and need and how their personality affects them, you know, getting what they want to need, including, I suspect there's a correlation between people's personality models and their interpretation of things as crossing the creepy line too, but I've not really seen much on that. So, well, I guess creepy is an old eye of an elder mm-hmm. and it's a pretty hard thing to judge. And goes back to what I brought up in the beginning. What is deep enough? Mm-hmm. So that's going to look different for depending on a lot of different factors. Yeah. And and also the, the, I don't know, the complexity of the portfolio, if I can describe it that way. So even if you, you know, even if you're a smallish company that we might work with, you know, but you've got customers in a number of different markets, right? It's not unreasonable to say there might be 100 to 200 you know, different persona definitions for that given company. You just think of all the ethnical, ethnic, sorry, and linguistic differences and personality differences. And then, you know, a company that's selling 10 to 15 different products means you've got, you know, 100 different persona times 10 to 15 products. And then, you know, you may have three, four, five kind of sub journeys within each journey, which means it's not unrealistic for a an organization to have a have a portfolio of maybe a thousand persona journey product combinations and of course you can't deal with a thousand so you have to pick you know which are the one two three four five six seven eight nine ten that are most important and just start you know work working them off the list um over time so that you can deliver those experiences to those people successfully well that explains why it's the number two challenge on the list Let's pick the three biggest challenges that you think that organizations have in this area. Okay. So I think I think the, the first one, and you kind of alluded to it, is picking the most important customers to focus on out of the myriad of options, customers and journeys. So that, that clearly is, you know, is is the is a huge challenge. Um, the second one is uh, I'll say identifying how you define and refine your, you know, those persona models, that information um, about those, those customers and those customer persona. And then the third one I think is how to continuously evolve, um, you know, your understanding of those customers, both as their preferences and needs change, but also, you know, at today's business velocity, right? Because, you know, it's ferocious out there, right? It is. It's it's psycho. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yes. Okay. Now, 
the the three main steps or first steps, I guess you could say, what can the average smaller organization do to start addressing this customer understanding dilemma that they have? I mean, the first one may sound a little glib, but get started, right? I mean, however you want to prioritize, um, you know, pick a priority, you know, create whatever rough models you can create to define those customers um, and and look at whatever information sources you can get to um, improve the evolve the fidelity or quality of those customer definitions. And then, you know, do that day one and get better day two and better than that on day three. That is step one and two and three. So no, that was step one, one point one, one point two, or more. Oh, that was one point three. Okay, <laughs> I thought those were the three steps. <laughs> Doing the same thing day two and the same thing day three doesn't count as three steps in my oh, mind. Oh, does it? Okay. No. All right. What's two? Um, it relates to that, and that is, I would, I would say, for most organizations, launch some core kind of multi-channel we'll call it a customer intelligence strategy or capability. So, you know, taking all the data you can get your hands on about those customers and, you know, effectively both putting it into a database, that database could be in an Excel spreadsheet or it could be in a massive global database um, and continuously again, you know, get better, get better, get better, continuously figuring out how to add more and more data sources so you get a clearer and clearer understanding of, um, you know, of who that customer is. And then, by the way, a great example of that, practical example, I know people are sick and tired of hearing about them, but you think about Amazon, right? One of the reasons why Amazon knows their customers so well is because they have so many different brands. You know, it's not just Amazon and Zappos, right? I mean, they have hundreds and hundreds of different touch points in different contexts with their customers. And mm -hmm. so, and they've been doing this in the digital world longer than anybody. So the richness of their customer profiles is beyond anybody's. And three, systematize it. So you know, build it into your build it into your kind of standard way of working, right, in your business. So this idea of you know constantly evolving your you know your lists of personas and segments, and constantly building a richer and richer database and a strategy whereby you not only collect the data but you act on it, um, kind of you know kind of the continuous improvement um, model is, you know, is really, which is kind of 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, 2.1, 2.2, 2.3, right? So once you've got this in place, just just get better every day and, you know, keep at it and keep refining your focus. And over time, you know, you'll get good enough to use that that term. Well, there we go. And there is everyone's cliff notes for how, how to do customer understanding at a deep enough level. Thank you for that. And I hope everyone enjoyed that and got something out of it. And by all means, since we're on our own customer experience journey here, we would love to hear from you and hear your opinions about whether or not that's helpful for you. If it should be more in depth, if it's too much in depth, if, you know, we need to use shorter sentences, whatever it is. Um, just let us know. You can add us at talkingcx at 
on Twitter and you can send us an email. You can contact us through our website. We would love to hear from you. And as we move along here, the next topic, I believe, is defining great CX. So that is going to be an interesting topic because that's another one of those really nebulous kind of shady uh, terms that's, that's hard to define. Yeah, I'm not quite sure I'd call it a shady term, but that's okay. They didn't mean shady in the, in the sense of that's a shady deal. I was just wondering, we got Shady and Psycho in the same podcast, so, you know. True. Well, at least we're not referring to Shady personas and Psycho journeys. So I guess right. I guess that makes it okay. Anyway, if you could think of a better comeback, tell me one. I'll, I'll, I'll drop it in here. That's right. You need a, maybe you should go to our audience and see if they can uh, run a competition, see who can come up, come up with the best comeback to Graham. I think that would be great, yeah. But but in order to run an audience contest and ask them to put all of that kind of mental effort into coming up with a cutback to Graham, we need to have a prize, right, for the best cutback or the top three comebacks. So, what do you suggest? Do we have some? Do you have something we can give them that they might like to have? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, if anybody comes out, if if we if we can if we can get a couple, I'll give I'll buy them a a free CX book of their choice. As long as I can buy it on Amazon and ship it to them somewhere in the world, um, I'm happy to do that. Nice. Well, there you go. Okay, our first contest. So, just to be clear, if anyone missed what what we're, we were rambling on about, Graham. <laughs> made this pithy comment about us having Shady and Psycho in the same podcast. And I flubbed the comeback. It was completely devoid of any snark. And so for whoever, one of you listening who comes up with a great response, Graham will buy you the CX book of your choice. So I think that's a pretty good deal, actually. And I hope somebody takes you up on it. There we go. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. And in the meantime, do CX right. Do it right now. Thanks, everybody. Bye.